This is the Zero Downside Podcast brought to you by MoabTexas.com. Well, hello, everyone. I am Hannah Dunning. We are starting the first episode of Zero Downside Podcast. I'm here with Dr. Way McKenna and Mike Mitchell, and we're going to go through our procedure protocols as far as stem cell therapy, our innovations in this industry, and why we stand out of the crowd in this market. So I'm going to let Michael take it off now, and so he can give you a little bit more background. Awesome. Thank you, Hannah. And we're really excited uh, to be able to have an opportunity to talk and, and explain a lot about what we do in our process. And I think I'd be remiss if, if we didn't just start off the episode with why the title, why the zero downside as a title for a podcast? <laughs> yeah, because I have uh, staff um, that are all uh, um, too big for their britches. And um, you know, I, the cool part about doing what we do is I have staff that's not afraid to tell the king when he doesn't have clothes on. And so um, because I'm a trauma surgeon and so much of what I've done my entire career has a significant downside. I mean, anytime you're weighing the risk and benefits of surgery, there's, there's, there's a lot of things you have to think about. And so when patients are trying to talk to me and, about cells and they're asking questions about complications, it unfortunately... Uh, what ends up coming out of my mouth a lot that I'd never really realized until these guys pointed it out um, is like there's zero downside to this compared to 90% of what we do. And, and when we say that, it's not, you know, it sounds facetious, but it's really not. The human amnion, the postnatal tissue graph we use, which we use live, we use several graphs, but um, obviously we tailor that to what someone needs, but it's, it's live amnion tissue. Um, that's never been sterilized and gotten rid of all the proteins and it's not freeze dry where it's not dried out and you add fluid to it because no cells are alive through that. Um, but we've been using amnion in medicine since 1910 for wound care, corneal mm -hmm. abrasions. I mean, that's before Marconi invented the radio, if Marconi invented the radio. Um, but really, that graft is, is a primary graft to augment a patient's stem cells, which is from bone marrow. And so the downside of bone marrow is zero. You can't, actually, it's lower than getting your own blood back. When you donate blood and they don't get rid of the white cells and they go to give it back to you and you're in a hospital getting blood transfusion, about five to 10% of the time, you spike a little bit of a fever called a transfusion reaction. So even getting, and they turn it off, throw it away, open a new unit of blood. So even getting your own blood back has a higher complication rate than the bone marrow stem cells because we spin all the, the antigenic, the white cells off to create a leukocyte pore solution, keep all the stem cell volume where we want create the platelet-rich plasma part of that with your cells. And so when I say zero downside, it, it means compared to 90% of the other things we do, which have an incision, a knife, and a, a real hospitalization, um, not a private OR with, you know, bougie-ass, you know, private anesthesiologist and, um, and, you know, a concierge host and, and, you know, a doctor in recovery room. Uh, what we do at our office is a little different, but when we talk about zero downside, I'm comparing it to you have a car accident, you're in the hospital, and I'm the one that walks in to see you. Everything I'm going to do in that situation has a significant downside. So the zero downside um, is because cell therapy just doesn't have the same complication rate as everything else. And traditionally, mm. we use cell therapy to lower the complication rate of everything else, yes. right? Traditional medicine is something that we go against or we are trying to fix in a way and offering more 
just non-traditional options as yeah, far I, as a patient who may need surgery, who actually may be able to regenerate enough tissue or cartilage to not need surgery. And I think that's where you come in and you're able to decide that. And not many people can do that. Can you give me a little bit more background on how you make that deciding factor? Uh, I, I think for me, most of what we talk about with Western medicine is just that Western medicine is kind of broken, right? I mean, for it's just the focus. I mean, Western medicine focuses on disease. They're disease-based and, and, and we're patient-based. So really, if you want to be, if you want to focus on health, you don't focus on the disease, you focus on the status of the patient. And, and for us, it's about what can I do to optimize a patient's health? And a lot of times it's to optimize what your body's able to do with the cells that were given it to treat a chronic injury. Um, but for a lot of times, even with surgery and as a, you know, as an orthopedic surgeon, I'm used to fixing stuff. Like that's the reason I did an orthopedic residency. I, I couldn't do what, you know, internal medicine guys do as, as far as just manage chronic illnesses. I, I wanted to fix stuff. Right. And, but what I learned very quickly is um, there's a lot of things we're not fixing. Like I can't fix stuff. I can make it where your body has less of a hurdle to get better. Um, and for a lot of times that means I got to sew some stuff back together or straighten out, put a rod in a plate, something like that, more invasive. But for the most part, even if you sew it together, it still has to heal. Mm -hmm. And the, this is when people talk, it drives me crazy when some guy will say, you know, I don't believe in cells, don't believe in stem cells. And, and it makes me, my, my inner question and not my outer voice, hopefully, if Mike's around to, to swat me in the back or is <laughs> kicking me underneath the table or something. That's fair. That's fair. Um, <laughs> for the most part, um, what I want to say is, well, how do you think your body heals now? Right? Like when you, if you could cut yourself, the way that that cut heals, and this is where Western medicine goes wrong, right? We don't even teach the right stages of wound healing. Mm. Like when no, I, we get a lot of medical students and interns or residents or, or students go pre and no one, when you ask the question, I have several questions I'll ask throughout the day, you know, just to see kind of where they're at. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions I always ask is, you know, what's the first stage of wound healing? Mm -hmm. If it's not injury to a capillary bed causes the endothelial cells, which are a lot of parasites and, and, and stem, functional stem cells to secrete PGE2, the causing the initiation of angio. Like if it's not about a lot of peptides into the wound being secreted by the cells, the exosomal concentrate, if it's not about those cells secreting it, that's not the first stage of wound care. So we, we've kind of already taken a deep dive into the process, right? The, mm -hmm. the thought process, the, the genesis of, of why we're here, but let, let's break it down just a little bit and, mm -hmm. and kind of step back and say, okay, well then you're a, a fellowship trained trauma surgeon, right? So a lot of people are gonna ask, you know, why, why stem cells? Why would a guy that, that fixes bones and, and knees and things like that for a living, why would he get into stem cells? And I know you and I have had a lot of conversations around this and really it comes down to the, the one question is what is the difference between a repair and healing? Absolutely. I, and, and again, I can, I can make the x-ray look perfect if that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Um, making the x-rays pretty doesn't make anyone necessarily feel better. And it's unfortunately what the primary crust of medicine is if someone comes to see a traditional orthopedic surgeon is we're supposed to make your x-ray pretty because in my mind that means I've succeeded even if you're still hurting and can't move your knee, I get the pat on my back because I took that x-ray and made it look like that. We're not, we're not in it for that, right? So what, what I learned very quickly um, as an orthopedic surgeon is it some things you can't just magically fix? There are a lot of times when I walk into a patient's room, and I know you guys have seen it, um, that 
we'll do standing x-rays. So I still think weight bearing films are crucially important. So when you're evaluating a knee, you want to see what it looks like when you actually put weight on it and stand up. And so we do weight bearing films. We'll do motion films. I'll do a lot. But, but one of the things you figure out is there's plenty of times I walk into a patient's room, standing films will be up on the computer and one knee looks terrible and the other knee looks okay. And I go, well, oh, Miss Smith, you're, well, this left knee looks really tragic. And she's like, wait a minute. Like my left knee's not the one that hurts. Mm -hmm. Like my right one's killing me. My left one used to hurt. My left one feels okay. Now it's kind of unstable sometimes, but I'm here for my right knee. If I'm treating the x-ray and not the patient, I'm not even treating the right leg, leg right? Like we're, we're down the wrong track already. So what you figure out very quickly is that you, you got to, number one, the best way to treat a patient is to figure out what's wrong with them. Mm -hmm. um, you can't, you know, even, even the stem cell part of what we do, even though these cells can go everywhere, um, for the most part, my job is to try to take them, concentrate them, and get your body to initiate healing or change a chronic injury uh, or initiate some kind of healing in a dead tissue uh, in an area that your body's having real difficulty getting to because of chronic injury, overuse, UV light, stress, mm -hmm. whatever. You know, we have to get people hormonally and nutritionally optimized to even respond best to the cells. Right? I, I use the analogy all the time that you can spray grass seed on concrete and sometimes you can get it to grow, but it's way easier if you put it on ground, right? And so, wet ground. So that leads me to a question, right? A lot of people say, well, why stem cells? Is it, is it a young individual's treatment? Is, yeah. it, is it for somebody that's over 70 years old? Are they going to have less of a result just because of age as a factor? If I'm old enough where I wake up in the morning and I'm sore, right? Or I, I've trained or I've done something else in the gym and I just, I just never feel right. I don't feel healed in whatever joint that we're addressing. Is age a factor or is that something that you're trying to address using regenerative medicine? Uh, you know, the smart like part of me because of you guys wants to say yes. Um, all that, right? Because, because really, when someone has a chronic repetitive injury or even acute injury, if your cells are rocking mm -hmm. and I can concentrate and put them where they go, you're gonna heal way faster, mm -hmm. right? And, and you're gonna fail less often. I mean, let's just look at rotator cuff surgery, right? And this is really good published studies. If I quote anything on here, um, the team will make really uh, concerted effort making sure that those articles are available. Usually they're referenced if they're on our website. Um, and you can, like, I'm not going to quote an article uh, that doesn't exist. So, um, but what's published in rotator cuff surgery is that if you don't use cells, mm -hmm. if you're not using bone marrow, what's published is about a 30% failure rate. And that's not in one study, that's in all the studies, right? So it doesn't matter if it's lateral row, dual row, all arthroscopic, open, mild capsular, like there's 50 ways to do it, which means there's no one right way that works 100% of the time. But what does work 100% of the time is if you put the patient's own bone marrow, concentrated down, which we will call BMAC, right? Mm -hmm. Bone marrow aspirate concentrate. When you take those cells, your stem cells, concentrate it and inject in the cuff, what's published in six months, same surgeon, same hospital. The 10-year follow-up paper that we're talking about was published in 2014. So I always tell the patient, well, you know, recently, not recently, almost a decade ago, the 10-year follow-up. So these shoulders were done between 2002, 2004. What's published is if you don't put cells in it, only 67% are more healed. Mm -hmm. If you put the patient's own concentrated marrow in it at the time of the case, 100% were healed at six months. That was published. I thought it was going to be a drop-the-mic moment. Didn't. So the 10-year follow-up was published in 2014. At 10 years, what's published is if you put cells in it, 87% of the time it's still hit at 10 years. 
if you didn't put cells in it, 44%. So what I think a surgeon should have to do that doesn't believe in stem cells, uh, which that's how your body's going to heal, right? So your stem cells are what do this. If, a, if someone doesn't do that, I think that they should probably be obligated to tell you, look, if I'm going to sell your rotator cuff back together, we're going to send you to months of therapy. I'm going to keep you in a sling for a while. You're going to lose some motion. You have a lot of post-op atrophy. You're going to have trouble getting your strength and range of motion back. And oh, by the way, the failure rate of that surgery is about 30%. So I, I, I've never heard that discussion. And as a resident, I heard 30 guys talk to a patient like that, right? Well, much and to I, Hannah's point, that that's what goes against what we're going to call modern medicine. Right? Yeah. That's, it's, yeah. it's an expectation. When I, let's not call modern because this is modern. That's let's right. call it Western. Right? <laughs> I don't even want to say traditional Western because medicine. I think, there's some, I think traditional medicine was holistic. Yeah. I think if you go back to the beginnings of medicine in our country, it was you're learning from a preceptor that have been taking care of people, listening to patients and treating their symptoms and trying to help them get healthy for a long time. So I think traditional medicine, uh, you know, is, is different point. than Western medicine. I think Western medicine, you get the health care that, that the health establishment is paying for you to have. Like you're going to fit into their paradigm. It's a flow chart. It was designed without you as, as at the top of it. It was designed the same for everybody. Their treatment options are going to be the same as for everyone. Mm -hmm. It's not a customized treatment plan in any way, shape, or form because they're they're not there to provide optimal health. They're there to provide a treatment based on a disease and a diagnosis code. And you need to fit nice and neat into those treatment codes and diagnosis code, or, or you're not going to be treated appropriately. And that's, that's one of the reasons with our workups and we'll have patients that, why do I have to MRI this? Or why we're doing films on this? I just want you to put cells in it. Look, the best decisions are made on the best data. I'm a big believer of the diagnostic workup. I love what modern med medicine can do for us, modern medicine can do for us with lab, um, imaging, uh, MRI technology, um, ultrasound, C-arm in the room. Weight-bearing x-ray. Weight-bearing film, yeah. right? When I love the better, the, coming up with the best data I can to help make a patient treatment decision for me. But it's, it's based on, I mean, we're modern, like that, mm -hmm. the other stuff. But I think that when you make the best data collection, it helps me give you a better diagnosis and what your real options are within traditional medicine um, because I'm still a surgeon. Like I, you can't be a surgeon and not be a little bought into the religion of medicine because you give up your 20s and half your 30s to do it. And you know what the, the body is really good at is rationalization, right? Like I have to be able to rationalize that I gave up my 20s when you feel good and you look good and half my 30s when you feel not as good but you still look good mm -hmm. i gave up all that to go to school internship residency fellowship and finish at 34. right so if you're going to give up that segment chunk of your life it you need to feel like you didn't waste it so i think that the search i think there are plenty yeah. of patients that need both part, parts of me yeah. you need the traditional medicine train you need, you want some, actually, let I me just tell you what you want, you. someone yeah. to, to, that's do, delivering you stem cells, yeah. you want a doctor. It's like the best part right. of the, like taking yeah. a patient through the process is like, if you need surgery, Dr. McKenna will do the surgery still and inject your own stem cells. And that's a great benefit to him just getting surgery done by him. It, it lowers our infection rate down. I would love to go into now if there wasn't a knife and bone marrow aspirate situation yeah. where you go into traditional surgery. Now, I love the analogy that you give of bone marrow aspirate and postnatal tissue allograft and the combination of those two to not go into surgery. And that's a non-surgical, non-invasive full procedure that we 
do as well equally to the surgeries. And I would love for you to kind of go into that detail of what that means to apply both to an affected area and why you do that. Yeah, I think I think the easiest thing is, and I was getting ready, I'm alluding to it, is the, our infection rate. I mean, so the infection rate of traditional orthopedics is three to five percent. Mm-hmm. You know, knock on wood, right? Like we all hate to even talk about this, but um, because of the stem cell part of what we do, we haven't had a surgical IND in a, a decade. And the if if you're operating at all, and, and we do, right? And we're busy. Um, then you're going to have three to five percent of those cases that have a post-op complication of infection. And infection, even in the rotator cuff study we're talking about, right? The cost of one infection, there were no infections in the bone marrow side, by the way. Uh, the cost of one infection to traditional healthcare between 2002 and 2004 in France, where that study was published out of, um, was about $250,000. Mm. So you, you have to take everything out. You have to wash the shoulder out every 36 hours for three washouts. They put a pick line in. The patient gets six, eight weeks of IV antibiotics, and then they have to redo the whole surgery. Mm. You want to be that person, or do you want me to sew everything back together and put cells in it? Or better, what Hannah's alluding to, is if you have a partial thinness tear, and um, you're a jiu-jitsu he's, he's person. He's gesturing at me. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a jiu-jitsu person in your 40s, um, and you have a partial thinness tear of your cuff and you just ignore it for a couple of years so you can't really get your arm up and you can't grab it. So you're a one-armed jiu-jitsu fighter. Um, <laughs> and I can, without even putting you asleep, take you back into the room um, with an injection into the actual cuff tear on ultrasound using sound visualization. Um, if I can get those cells into your partial thinness tear, it's not uncommon um, for you to never need a traditional surgical approach again as long as you don't have a big loose piece catching your shoulder but i mean there are plenty of things that on physical exam and imaging we should be able to catch up if if there's anything out there that has a lot of veto power of what we do i'm going to give you those choices based on that information um but for the most part the downside again (laughs) that's where you guys got it yes yeah right (laughs) wow okay i do say that i thought i I thought they were just making fun of me um the downside of what we're talking about is about zero when you compare it to traditional surgery now because of the stem cell part what we do on the traditional surgery side i get people's out of their sling in the first few days uh, certainly by the end of the first two weeks we've started they can eat with it right away if that surgical repair isn't stable then I then I'm not done. I'd still be in the room because when we when I'm looking at it and I get all those anchors right and I'm moving around the shoulder. If I have a good stable repair that's going to heal, we're done. I inject a bunch of cells in it, um, close everything up. Uh, you got about two inch incision, a couple little poke holes, and I you can't. That repair is going to last for the first three to six months, yeah. even if you weren't going to heal. If you so, heal, that repair is never going away. The healing tissue takes over and you're done. But if I can get you to heal without that's why tra- traditional surgery has a significant downside. I have to take the blood supply away from something with an incision to be able to make it heal. Like, ah, I, I, oh, wait, I want to make one quick issues. point for, because it, that was something Hannah said earlier is just kind of hanging out there in my head. We talked about being a doctor to do the cells, right? Like this is, but as a trauma surgeon, as traditional medicine with the being with the orthopedic part, you know, the best part about that is that's who you want injecting yourselves, right? Like you want someone that has every arrow in the quiver to treat your problem because then I'm not so vested in whatever the one thing is I'm treating you. I have everything. We can start out anywhere you want on this treatment paradigm. Here's kind of what I think the most conservative, the most aggressive things are. 
where are you at in the overall scheme of this? If you've already had three or four injections, you've been to therapy five times, like we're not going to repeat all that, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't want someone pulling your bone marrow, mm -hmm. taking amnion that maybe even wasn't frozen, like reconstituting mm -hmm. it, which means there's nothing mm -hmm. in it, right? Um, you don't want someone doing that, that that's at the top of their competency mm -hmm. level. 90% of what we do is a six inch putt, right? Yeah. But it's because of, I gave up that time till I was 34 to figure out how to do it. That made, that's, that's the difference. So we're coming up toward the end of the first episode, right? And, and it's, it's been great. I mean, there's so much that we want to talk about as far as content goes mm -hmm. each and every time we're, we're going to feature guests We're we're going to actually feature a guest on our next episode, um, that, that really has a great perspective, uh, from both ends, right. From a, from a practitioner perspective and as a patient. So I'm excited to hear that a little bit of a teaser for our next episode. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing kind of how this manifests right yeah. over time. We have Hannah and her expertise. She's the one that's dealing with with patients from a concierge perspective. She helps market and kind of spread the word to the outside world. Dr. McKenna, obviously you come with the experience, right? You validate everything that we're talking about in this episode, not just by studies, but by your physical hands doing the work. Um, one thing that we like to preach in our office is needles over knives. And mm -hmm. I think we're going to get into the point where we explain and justify that statement mm -hmm. out of our office. We're able to, to give people a better picture of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So I really am looking forward forward to uh, continuing on this journey with the both of you and, yeah. and just hearing where we go from here. Yeah. It, it'll, uh, what I hope this turns into is getting over the initial resistance to the word stem cell. And, and again, we're going to have to define some terms for people. Yeah. Um, what is a stem cell? It's not some dead cell in a jar. Mm -hmm. It doesn't help anyone. It's not or some culture. There's a lot of conspiracy around it. We are just about, touching we're, on. We're talking about postnatal. We're talking about postnatal tissue. We're talking about everything that comes mm -hmm. out of mommy after the baby on a C-section. Mm -hmm. Healthy mommy, healthy baby, healthy membrane. All three mm -hmm. genetic tested, and then being able to take the last part of the umbilical cord, the first part of the of the placenta, and be able to take that graft, keep it metabolically active, meaning alive, mm -hmm. not manipulate it, not grow it, but be able to use that graph because those are day zero cells. Mm. They're, they're, they're morons, right? They, but they're prolific morons, right? So they can secrete a lot of peptides and proteins, but they don't know what to do with it. Your bone marrow stem cell, which you, you know, as Mike talked about earlier, and we'll get to at some point that, that as you get older, you don't have as many and the cells you have can't do as much, mm. but they're the brains of the operation, right? So if you have me helping you move with a bunch of 17 year old kids, like, I don't want to be getting all your furniture out of the house. But if you let the 17-year-old kids stack the truck, it takes three trips. Yes. That's a good point. I can get it all in. I'll get the tables upside down. I'll put the chairs right. I'll get the mesh on. Like, I'll get it all in the same truck. That's kind of what Bumrill does. It, it, it makes sure that all the secretions of amnion and its own direction, because the Bumrill cell is capable of knowing where it's at. And because of that, because it functions as an organ, it kind of directs the play, but it just needs a really big cast of character sometimes. And you need to film... Lawrence of Arabia, not Reservoir Dogs, right? Like, you, you need more help sometimes. And that is my favorite analogy I was talking about. <laughs> yes. Well, hey, guys, I, I don't want to cut us too short. Obviously, again, we're, we're going to struggle trying to get all the content yes. out every single episode. But please do us a favor if you're listening or watching online. Like, give us a follow, make comments online, and please, by all means, Ask us tell any questions, right. anything you want to be answered on the show. We're happy to feature them. And we're ready to get the facts out there. And I've been told by, by my attorney to make sure we mention and that these are the facts from our standpoints uh, <laughs> and that um, we're not providing medical advice. If you want medical advice, obviously I do have a place you can get that. 
Um, Fair. And I, I would recommend it. Find it. Uh, we are talking about our views and experience mm. um, on the, yes. the medical care of patients. And obviously, um, I've, if someone's talking about bone marrow, I, I, as the, I mean, I, I, I developed the system that we use to help draw marrow and a lot of the intellectual property around the harvest catheter and the reason we can get higher cell count than 90% of the other marrow is, is because of that technology. But we've done over 20,000 bone marrow draws. And so from that perspective alone, um, one thing I hope we come out of the podcast with is never having to answer the question again, how many of these have you done? That would be, That's fair. That'd yes. be great. I'm sure we will get that addressed many well, times. Right I'm excited guys. for episode two. And that's a wrap for our first one. All right. Good job. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.